good. Awesome. How is everyone? Good? All right, I got a question for you. Who knows that the Holy Spirit is holy? Okay, good. Just checking. All right. Where does the Holy Spirit live if you're a born-again believer? Good. All right, so quick little snippet about me before I get on to what I'm going to teach tonight. Um, yeah, I'm Josiah. I've done the first two years of academy. I'm about to finish the intern year here as well. Um, almost six years ago now, I met Jesus in the middle of a near-suicide attempt where he completely delivered me from depression, anxiety, suicide, porn addiction, sex addiction, popularity addiction, all the things I got immediately delivered. I lived three, uh, free for three months And then I was told that I could never maintain that freedom and never live in that space of freedom because it would eventually all slowly start to come back up. And so then for the next two and a half years, I lived confused as anything because I've got this three-month experience of radical freedom, encountering the Lord, getting into my Bible, experiencing freedom because I met Jesus, right? And then I'm told that I can't live free. And then I live in that space of confusion for two and a half years. Then in July of 2018, I have a, um, another encounter with the Lord in my bedroom in a, in a moment of worship where he asked me this question after outlining all these different uh, areas of compromise in my life. And he asks me, are you willing to stop living for yourself and to start living for me? That same night, I go onto YouTube, and for the first time in my life, I encounter a gentleman by the name of Mark Greenwood, and he's teaching on righteousness, and that the believer has been made righteous. I listened to that four times in that same night, and for the first time since I got saved, I felt permission to live in my testimony. How good's God? You know, I have this deep-seated conviction that when you know the truth, the truth does set you free. And, and another great quote is that proper belief leads to proper behavior. And if you don't know what Jesus did for you, if you don't believe that he set you free from sin, then you're just going to live in that space. So we're going to talk a bit about that tonight. So to walk in Christ-likeness, we need to know what Christ did for us. It doesn't have to be some massive, long, lifelong journey to just to experience a moment of freedom from sin because Jesus paid for it with his body and his blood. And I firmly believe, as does Brendan, we were praying earlier, we believe that people are going to walk free tonight of sin, of habitual sins, of anxiety, of depression, of the things. You do not need to leave this place tonight experiencing the same bondage that you walked in with. You just don't. I'm pumped. Bring it on. All right. So I'm going to quickly just um, teach this quick principle in the Bible and who's heard of the type and shadow? Who's heard of a type and shadow? Yeah? Okay, so Paul, Paul in Corinth, uh, Colossians 2, 
um, calls, calls things of the old, this shadow of, uh, and the author of the Hebrews um, in Hebrews 10.1 says that the law was a shadow of the good things to come. And this concept of a shadow, when you think of a shadow, I don't know if you can really see this here. I don't know. You can kind of see it. But if you picture that I'm not here right now and all you see is a shadow, right? You see the outline and you have a little bit of an expectation of what I'm going to look like, right? But you don't see the substance of who I am. You don't actually know the colors I've got. You don't know the shape of me other than just that little outline that you could see in the shadow, right? So this is, what, this is what the author of Hebrews says. The law was a shadow of the good things to come, right? It gave this, um, this, this grid for the Israelites and the Jews to be able to look and have an expectation of what the Savior is going to look like, right? How many know that Jesus didn't abolish the law? He fulfilled it. Colossians says that Jesus is the substance of the shadow. So he filled the shadow, right? Okay, so we're just going to quickly look at one of these shadows. One of these things in the Bible. Now, uh, Jesus himself alludes to these uh, different shadows. He doesn't call them shadows directly, but he alludes to them. Paul talks about them. The whole book of Hebrews is pretty much a book that explains these different shadows that point to Jesus and says that Jesus is better than all these things. That's essentially the book of Hebrews. All right, so tonight we're going to look at this one shadow that you could almost miss if you didn't know what you're looking for. And I had this moment with the Lord where I was getting very... Uh, just discontent that I was feeling over-familiar with different parts of Scripture, right? You know, where they get a bit cliche, everyone says them, you know, like Proverbs 3, you know, 5 to 6, Jeremiah 29, 11, John 3, 16, these different Scriptures that everyone says all the time, and if you're not careful, they can lose their power because you get over-familiar. All right, so I went through one of these times in the middle of last year where I was just like, I don't like that, God Spirit of truth, can you come and re-illuminate these to me? Right? So we're going to go to John 3 tonight. Now, I went to John 3 and very, I went straight to John 3, 16 and very quickly the Holy Spirit said to me, why are you starting there for? <laughs> because to understand John 3, 16, you've got to understand the chapter. Right, Because the whole, almost the whole, at least the first half of John 3, is a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. And basically, Jesus is unpacking this question that Nicodemus asks at the start of John 3. It was like, what does it mean to be saved? What is the born-again experience? This is essentially what Jesus starts to unpack as we lead up to John 3.16. We're going to start at uh, verse 14 tonight. Um, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes uh, will in him have eternal life. And then verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you catch it? Right at the start of verse uh, 14 there, it says, As Moses was lifted up, right? Who knows that story that Jesus is referring to? couple of hands. 
Okay, let's look at it real quick. It's in Numbers 21. Now remember, Jesus is explaining the born-again experience here to, to Nicodemus, right? So he's explaining what it means to be saved, what it means to be born of the Spirit, okay? All right, so Numbers 21, verse 6 to 9. I'll just read this real quick. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall, be, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live." or be healed, depending on your translation. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the pole, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So this is the story that Jesus is referencing in John 3. And some people might just be like, what? Why? Okay, this is, this is a story that Jesus is using as a shadow of, a shadow that's explaining what he's going to do on the cross. Right? And he's filling it in by going to make the sacrifice on the cross. Right? So what are some things that we can pull out of what this story is? Notice when they looked at the pole, they were healed and they were given life. Right? The other thing was is when they came to Moses, they said that, for we have sinned. Right? And that little portion is, a, is actually reflective of repentance. They're acknowledging, hey, we've sinned. They're humbling themselves. And they know that their Lord is a Redeemer. Right? So repentance without knowing that He's a Redeemer and, and repentance without knowing that you can be set free. Like, what's, what's that going to do? Right? So repentance is meant to be liberating. The Greek word metanoia means to change your mind. The way I think about it is, okay, if I'm convicted of a sin or I'm convicted of something that I don't need to be living in, I'm changing my mind from what I'm looking at to what he wants me to look at. Right? It's not a dirty word. It's actually a really beautiful word. And it's the life of the believer of this continual, as the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin or of righteousness or of judgment, He convicts you, you shift your gaze, you say, sorry, <laughs> you acknowledge that you've made a boo-boo, right? Or a mistake, and you've fallen into something you're not, and you look at Him again, and you'd be like, okay, Lord, thank you, I get to walk free now. That's repentance. Now, there's one more key detail in this that I want to draw out really quickly. I love this. God used the very thing that was killing the Israelites to redeem them. He used the serpents that were killing the Israelites by telling Moses, make a serpent, and he redeemed them. What does 2 Corinthians 5.21 say about Christ? For he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness in Christ. 
Jesus became sin. He became the very thing that was killing us on the inside, that was leading us to death. He became the very thing so that when we look upon him, we can be set free and healed and we can be filled with life. That's the gospel message. That's the born again experience. To be born of the Spirit is to look upon Christ and be filled with the Spirit, the breath of life. And healed of the very thing that was killing us. Sin. You don't have two natures. You were being killed by sin and Jesus redeemed you. And you've been now made a slave unto righteousness. You've been righteousized, as some people say. That's the gospel. (laughs) So he became the curse. He became sin. So that we may look upon him in repentance and believe in his ability to liberate and so that we can be healed of the same condition. That's why he bore in himself the, 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 the payment for healing at the same time as the liberation for sin because sozo means not just forgiveness, it means wholeness, completeness, deliverance of everything. He set you free. So what does that now mean for John 3.16? Those are the two verses, verse 14 and 15, that lead up to this verse that says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, so that whoever may what? Believe in him shall not perish. Why? Because you've been given new life, but have eternal life. That's the message that Jesus died for so that we could experience relationship back with our Father, so we could be set free. So we don't need to live in this weird belief system that we're somewhere between the old covenant and the new covenant, that we're not somewhere that's still like living a life of the old covenant where we need this continual reminder of our sinfulness. We don't need to live there anymore. Jesus liberated us from that. He set us free from sin. And tonight, people that are bound by sin and, and, and have that belief and, or whatever it is, if you're in bondage tonight, you're going to get free. Because, because I'm, we're teaching the gospel tonight and it's through repentance. When you come before your Father and be like, God, I have heard that I can live free from this tonight. So God, where, where is it? Because Jesus paid for it. He paid for it. So it's not a matter of if anymore if he will set you free. It's not a matter of that anymore. That question is not there. It's a matter of just receiving what he's already done for you. By faith, knowing that Jesus became the curse and was beaten and whipped beyond any comparison. The Bible says that it was marred beyond the appearance of any man. That's what he did to liberate you and I. Is that good news or what? Exciting stuff. So just before I pass over to Brendan, my brother, I want to encourage you. There are hidden gems when you look through your New Testament and you see the authors talking about a shadow or a type in a shadow. Another one is look into unleavened bread. That'll rock you. 
because it speaks the exact same message. God, in his wisdom and his intentionality, has laid this beautiful little adventure that we can go on, on uncovering deeper, deeper, and like even more deeper revelation of what this gospel is, what this thing that we've been redeemed by, because he hid it (laughs) so that we can seek it out. And so that's my encouragement. Amen. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) So I'm going to invite up my amazing brother, Brendan. Now, before he comes up, I've had the privilege of walking with this man since February 2019. We did Messy First Year Academy together. We walked through some intense stuff together. We did second year together. Now we're interns together. This guy's a man to receive from, hey. He's a man of revelation. And so would you just like open your hearts as he come up, comes up tonight? He's my brother. And he's our brother. Yeah? Come up, Brendo. Brendo. I have a tendency when I'm a bit nervous to make silly jokes. So if anything sort of gets said tonight that you just like, that is the worst dad joke I've ever heard, Brendan, what are you doing? Just know that God still loves me. So my name's Brendan. I know most of the faces in this house right now. There's a few new ones. Um, as Josie just said... Um, I came here in 2019 to do the Academy and I went on an incredible adventure with God and it was hard at times and it was incredible and I highly encourage anyone to do it because you get to walk with incredible people like the man that just spoke before me. Um, So I've moved up here from Melbourne. My mum's actually watching tonight from Melbourne. Hi mum. And I got to come up here and get to know God a bit better. And then I got to know God a lot better. And then I realized that I'm going to keep getting to know God a lot better for the rest of my life. So tonight I'm going to tell you a little bit of that story about how I first got to know God, how I first met Him, how He changed my life forever, how He rescued me from so many silly decisions that I'd made. Before I do, I'm going to tell you a quote from an old mentor of mine. He said to me, our testimony is not the story of how we found God, but it's the story of how he pursued us. Which makes sense to me because claiming that you found an omnipresent God who's constantly pursuing you seems a bit silly to me. Um... Just going to put that out there. If you think your testimony is about you, then you've got something, you know, something to learn. So my story begins, well, you know, a long time ago, 1994, but I'll skip ahead a few years. Um, my story for tonight begins with a young teenager who was depressed, lonely, anxious, couldn't leave the house without having panic attacks couldn't get to school without revisiting breakfast, um, 
you know, didn't like himself and even more thought that there was no way that God was ever going to love him. Why would God love him when no one else did? That's what I thought. It wasn't true, but that's what I thought and that's how I lived. See, I knew about God because I'd been raised with Christian parents. I'd gone to a Christian school. I'd been to church when I was a kid. My grandmother had read me Bible stories as a little boy. And so I knew what God wanted, but I didn't know how to get there. And that's how we find our place in this, ourselves in this funny little place called law, which is when you have a standard to reach and you have to work really hard to get there. And you try as hard as you can and no matter what you do, you will never reach there because the law is perfection. And so I lived under law, condemnation and sin for most of my life. And because I couldn't measure up to what I knew that God wanted, you know, this God that I didn't even have a relationship with, I just fell further into condemnation, which breeds sin, which breeds more condemnation, and it goes in a horrible cycle over and over and over and over until you find yourself in a place that I found myself. You see, I hadn't given my life to him. I had just lived under condemnation and sin. It's funny reading over Romans 7 nowadays. Um, sounds very familiar. For those of you who don't know, if you're saved, if you have the Spirit of God, Romans 7 is not your story. Romans 7 is the story of someone living under law, under sin and under condemnation. I was reading over Romans 7 again today, just touching up on my notes, and God highlighted Romans 7.24, which we've all heard before and we've probably all identified with. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, that's how I felt. Who's going to save me from my anxiety, my depression, all this yuck that lives with me? Who's going to save me from not being able to sleep because my emotions are so intense that I'm in pain? Who's going to save me from not being able to see my friends? Who's going to save me from hating myself? And what I did was, as I got older, I just turned to substances to try and numb the pain. So I drank and I did drugs and I pursued things that I thought might just soothe the pain that I feel. You know, because I don't believe that I'll ever be anything worth being. And so I went after these things really hard, you know, I, I drank as often as I could when I wasn't drinking and I wasn't doing drugs, I was sitting at home wishing I was. And I was sitting at home thinking, why doesn't someone just reach out? Why doesn't someone just, you know, just show me that there's another way? Why isn't there, you know, I was sitting there thinking, I've tried this religion thing, it doesn't work. I remember saying to friends, you know, I tried Jesus, it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. And they said, Brendan, Jesus isn't something you try. And I said, yeah, I've heard that one before, but, you know, I did my best and, you know, it just doesn't work. And God was working in the background the whole time because that's who he is. 
It's what he does. He's, he doesn't start loving you the day you get saved. You know, sometimes we can think that God ceases to exist in our life until that moment of salvation, the moment that we find God, you know? I remember he miraculously got me off my anxiety medication. You know, before I trusted him, before I knew him, before I loved him, I was ironically at a conference, a Christian conference, and I went all day, got to lunchtime, had my lunch, and went, hang on a minute, I haven't had my meds today. And I'm okay. I'm still here. Nothing's fallen off. I've kept my lunch down. How good is God? Anyway, back to sin. And it got to the point where I was confessing Christ but living a lie. You know, I was like, yeah, Jesus is good. I'm just going to go get drunk now. Jesus is awesome on a Sunday. Jesus doesn't exist in my life on the other days, but he's awesome on a Sunday. Until a friend pointed out to me one day, he said, Brendan, have you met God? And I was like, I suppose. And he goes, no, really, Brendan, have you met God? Have you invited him to be the Lord of your life? And I was like, yeah, of course, I've said the prayer. And he goes, no, have you actually invited him? He said, Brendan, you're confessing to be a Christian, but like, and he said this very honestly, and I don't recommend this as an evangelism tactic. <laughs> but he said, Brendan, you're confessing to be a Christian, but are you? Anyway, I got real mad in my self-righteous anger. And I left his house quicker, you know, as soon as I could get out of there, I was like, I'm gone, I'm never going to talk to you again. See you on Sunday. <laughs> I did see him on Sunday. But something happened in between that day and Sunday. I got home and I was angry and I was... <laughs> How dare he question me and my faith? Anyway, I sort of realized he was a bit right. And I realized that I had never let God into my life. You see, I thought that I could do it myself. I thought that I could live my life by myself, running it myself, which is something I was never created to do. We were created to walk in the garden with the loving Father. We were created to rest with him, to talk with him, to be in love with him. And so I had this realization that I really, really needed God. Because chasing substances and chasing sin was never going to fill the hole that was created by sin. And so I got on my knees in my bedroom and I said those fateful words, God, I am so sorry. And while I was there on my knees, I heard this voice that had become so familiar to me now. Before I could get my sentence out, he just said, I love you and I forgive you. And it's those words that he's never stopped saying to me every time I've made a mistake. 
You see, this is the thing, you know, the reason I felt it important to read that quote to you guys today is because God was chasing me from the moment that I was tiny. He was pursuing me since Adam and Eve, since before my parents or their parents go back a hundred generations and were still going. Before those people existed, God was pursuing me and he was pursuing you. 2,000 years ago, God hung on a tree and was crucified for your sins before anyone even knew that you would exist. And he had you in mind when he was there. And he waited 2,000 years to tell me that he loves me and he forgives me. He waited 2,000 years to set me free from alcoholism. He waited 2,000 years to set me free from anxiety, to set me free from depression. And he waited for that moment, and as soon as I turned my face towards him in repentance, he opened his arms and welcomed me in and said, I love you and I forgive you. And I felt his presence in that room. And I knew that my father had welcomed me home. My encounter with God was feeling his love when all I deserved was wrath because I had dragged his name through the mud as a Christian for so long. I professed Christ and lived in sin and all I deserved was wrath and all he gave me was love. There was not a single moment of, yeah, I know you're sorry, but... I'm just going to have to sit in the naughty corner for 2,000 years to make up for all this time I spent doing this and sorting this out for you. There was none of that. It was literally just, I love you, I forgive you, welcome home, my son. Romans 2, 4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Now, for that to be true... God has to be kind before we repent. All right, that doesn't mean that there's an angry, vengeful God that's just waiting for you to trip up so then he can, you know, smack you out and send you to hell. That means that there's a loving, kind Father who's waiting for you to turn your eyes towards him so he can fill your heart with his presence so he can shake your entire life. You know, we can assume that God looks like what we think we deserve and then live according to that. We're expecting to act like we think we deserve Him to act. But that's not the God that I encountered that day. You see, while we're running from Him, while we're pursuing the things of the earth, while we're going after whatever that thing might have been for you, He's going after you twice as hard so then he can capture your heart. So then he can change your life. So he can make you a new creation. You see, he died as you, for you, and with you. So then you would be a new creation. So then you could live a life free from sin, free from condemnation, free from shame. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake after your moment of repentance. You're still free from shame. Repent again. 
He wants, to he wants you to turn your eyes back towards Him. If you're a Christian and you've sinned, all right, let me tell you that after this moment, that was not my last dealing with sin. All right, I made some mistakes afterwards and there were some pretty hairy ones. All right, but he still did the same thing. He opened, me with, opened his arms to me and he said, I still love you, Brendan. You can't sin better than God can save. All right, I tried to tell myself that for many years, that my sins were bigger than his ability to save me. But it's a lie. It's a massive lie. He told me to say this to you guys tonight. He said, hell is a place and you're not meant for it. It was never built for you. And he doesn't want you to, doesn't want you to end up there. See, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6. I'll summarize just for the sake of time. I'll cut it short a bit. It says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth? For there is no, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, he doesn't desire anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to the knowledge of truth. He wants all to come and know his son and to be filled with his spirit. And to have your lives changed as a new creation. Romans 8.1, we should all know this one by now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you did. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Especially your ability to sin. Which by the way, your sinful nature does get removed when you repent. And when you come to the knowledge of truth and when you give your life to him, your sinful nature is wiped out and you become the image of Christ. So what did I get when I came to Christ? What was the, the great exchange? I gave my sinful nature. He gave his love. He gave his nature. He welcomed me into a family of believers, people who have changed my life forever some of which are sitting in front of me today, some of which are back in Melbourne, some of which are home on live stream. He welcomed me into a family, a family of people who believe in me, who love me, who trust me, a family of people who believe the best for me. Romans 8, 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That means that we get to be welcomed as children. We get to be his children. You know what that means? That means my genetics go back one. And I really look like my dad. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit of Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. What's the point of hanging on to sin? If that's what I get for giving up sin, all right, you know, we got some people in the house that might work in finance. All right, you guys know what a fair deal is when you see one. I was a mechanic. I know how to pick a fair deal when it comes to cars. All right, this isn't a fair deal. All right, he takes sin, like some ugly and yucky. I like to picture it as this, like, black goop, right? He takes that, just a puddle of black goop, and in return, he gives you his righteous nature. He makes you the righteousness of God. It's not a fair exchange, For my conclusion, I've written, God only loves you. I didn't know how else to finish tonight. You know, of all of the things that I could write down, that I could say tonight, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're living in sin but have already been saved or it doesn't matter if you've never been saved before. God only loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. He's not angry with you. He loves you. He never meant for you to perish. That's not his plan. He doesn't delight in sending people to hell. All right, that picture that's been painted, it's not true. He delights when his sons and daughters come back to him and say, Daddy, I need you. And he says, welcome back. He doesn't even say, You know, let's sort out your stuff first. He doesn't say you have to look a certain way to come home. He just says, welcome back. Let's deal with the stuff, but welcome back to you. I love you. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you've set us free. I thank you that... In your name, we get to live free from sin. That we get to live without condemnation, without shame, without guilt, without a stain on our conscience. Thank you that because of you, we don't need things like substance or addictions or any other thing that we can use as medication to cover our consciences but I thank you that our consciences have been wiped clean. I thank you that it doesn't matter what we look like. We can return home right now. That we can move our eyes back towards you. I thank you that the effects of sin in this world can be removed immediately by turning our eyes back to you. Thank you that anxiety, depression, mental illness, physical illness can be lifted off right now in Jesus' name because you have set us free and made us new creations. Amen. I want to welcome anyone in the house that doesn't know him into his kingdom.
He loves you. He only loves you. If there's anyone online as well who would love to be welcomed into his kingdom, I would love you to write just in the comments section, that's me, and we can have people praying for you through the week. That's anyone who's tired of running from God, tired of running towards things that don't help, that don't actually numb the pain, tired of running towards things that don't solve the problem, tired of running towards things that don't actually fix your life. That's the people in this house that are ready to let God in. The people in this house and online who are ready to make God the Lord of their life and to receive the identity of a new creation. If that's you in the house, could you just put your hand up? Just put your hand up if that's you. We'll give you a few, a few seconds. And if there's no one in the house tonight, then for those online, I'd love you to pray with me for a moment. Just say these words after me. Father God, I give you my life. I repent of trying to do this on my own. And I ask you to lead me and guide me. I invite your spirit into my heart right now. And I thank you that in Christ, I am a new creation. Amen. So I'm going to welcome back up Josiah. And he's going to lead us into ministry. How about, actually, I'd just like to invite you all just to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to call what we're about to do a Hebrews 12 moment. I'm just going to read it. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance or weight or burden and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Sometimes sin gets in the way of our race. And this passage says that we fix our eyes on Jesus when that happens. Tonight I feel, um, tonight's going to be a turning point night for a lot of people here. Um, we're going to open the altar in a moment. And 
the invitation will be to come and lay aside the sin that so easily entangles, to come and lay aside the burdens, the weights, the things that I know the Holy Spirit is convicting you of tonight. That conviction is good. It's not condemnation. It's good because as Brendan has so beautifully alluded to tonight, he desires your liberty because he paid for it. He desires your freedom because he paid for it. And God, God is love. Part of that means that God is also holy. The reason I asked that question right at the start of when I started is because if you're a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside. And He, that holiness, that, that ability to live in that space of freedom, it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you get to come tonight to this space and set your mind on the reality that Christ has made you free. And you get to choose to say sorry to God if you're entangled with sin. You know, the nature of sin is that it wants to keep you in a place of shame. It wants to keep you in a place of condemnation. It wants to isolate you. And it wants to tell you that you're the only one going through it. (laughs) Such a lie. 